In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, it instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Granted by the same Spirit may be truly wise and rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady Guadalupe, St. Joseph, St. Ignatius of Loyola, all God's angels and saints, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So good afternoon to all. So last week we set the foundation for the exercises uh, going through our tripod, which is the three basic points for the signation method. And the first is the lecture that I'll be giving. And today it'll be shorter. First lecture, we have to actually have two we can set the foundation. And um, so we were able to get to know, at least to a limited degree, St. Ignatius of Loyola, encouraging you all to get to know the saint better by means of reading his life. And there's good movies on him. So St. Ignatius is, is our patron saint. Uh, last week, given that it was a little bit longer, we didn't break into groups. So as soon as I finish uh, this afternoon, we'll break into groups and you'll be able to uh, start your sharing on what happened this first week. And last but most important is your holy hour. Now your holy hour is the most important part of these exercises, your holy hour. Now, we have both today and tomorrow, uh, a lot of the people are doing the exercises are newcomers, so you're, you're learning the ropes. If you're, you're doing the exercises, this is something new to you, you're learning how to do it. So. Going to take a, it's going to take a while to get into the flow of things. But as I said uh, last week, the, the key element is you have to persevere. Okay, you have to persevere. Just give that time. Uh, the med, how are the meditations? Do you like the meditations? Yes. I wrote them, so I think they're pretty clear and to the point understandable. So you have a lot of material there. Okay? And uh, I'm trying to get it uh, published by one of the major publishers now, so pray for me that I'll be able to do that. Uh, uh, easier said than done. I'm a writer. I've got four books written, and the last one took five years. So it's not easy to get a book published. No? But my hope is that this one day will be published in Spanish and English, but as of yet, it's not the case. But maybe you can pray that that will be the case, no? Okay, so 
the key is is perseverance. So you just have to, using an analogy, uh, I learned how to speak a fluent Italian. Now my Spanish is very good, okay? But it took a long time for me to learn both of these languages. I think I have language skills, but to really be be proficient in language, it takes a long time. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I'm an athlete, I threw my first no-hitter. And the reason why is because in eighth grade, they said, don't throw a curveball, and I'll show you why. Look at me now. That's a very violent motion. So if, if, look at this. It's much different than this. This is just a fastball. So, if you're 13 years old, you do that, you can ruin your arm. I said, who cares? <laughs> so I learned how to throw the curveball, and I was, any of you know what KKK is? It's not the Ku Klux Klan, but rather <laughs> K's language, baseball language for a strikeout. So I was, I was whiffing them right and left because they'd never seen that ball. They'd never seen a, a curveball. But it took me probably a thousand practices to be able to perfect that. Now, uh, you can invite me to your house to cook, okay? Two days every year. It's, it'd be Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Those are two days I can definitely cook for you because it's a day of fasting, no? <laughs> so, if it took me a thousand pitches to perfect the curve, it took me a couple of years to be proficient in Italian and Spanish. Uh, the same can be applied to prayer. St. Teresa of Avila says, we learn how to pray by praying. Common sense, right? So um, it's good to see. I, by the way, I've been praying for all of you this week. Yeah, I've made a novena for all of you, so I've been praying because some for the for the newcomers this is the toughest week because if you're new and you're learning it, and say for example the first day consolation, consolation, then you have three days desolation. This is the way the devil works. You're wasting your time not getting anything out of it. Your husband calls you a religious fanatic. Uh, you're a nut. Um, you're not overcoming the impatience that you've been battling with. I mean, I, I, I've been given these exercises for, for a long time, so I know the way the devil works. And people won't come out. They won't return because the devil has convinced them. Uh, so, first week is the week in which I'm, I'm fearful that those who hit a snag, it's called desolation, they won't know how to cope with it and they'll just uh, they'll drop out. But you've made it through the first week, which is sometimes the most difficult week. Okay? But um, you've got two more weeks. I mean, you've got nine more weeks to go. All right. I'm going to ask you for a favor. Can I? Yes, Father. Will you give it to me? Yes, Father. 
All right. In less than two weeks, it will be my birthday. Okay. Okay. I want to ask you a birthday present. I want all of you to persevere the ten weeks. That's the only gift I want. Okay. So if I don't see you, I'll 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 I'll, I'll confront you and say you didn't give me my my birthday gift. <laughs> I'm the youngest priest in Southern California. The end of this month, I'll be 17 and three quarters. <laughs> I'm one of those weirdies. I was actually born on, on leap year. No, you probably never met one. Here you are. Yours truly now. So for the Mexicans, I celebrated my quinceanera four years. Huh? <laughs> You're jealous of me, huh? <laughs> All right, so uh, that's my birth get, birthday gift I want, okay? You going to give it to me? Yes. No soupy sales with cake in the face, okay? <laughs> okay, so last week, last week you meditated upon principle and foundation, in which you meditated upon basically why you're here. Very, very important meditation. It's really the foundation of the, of the whole program we have. So, the, these next nine weeks, I'm always going to be referring to that. A Pope said, if the whole world would meditate upon principle and foundation, the whole world would be saved. If they just meditated upon Principle Foundation. I've written four books. I've already written a book on Principle and Foundations in the pipeline. I want that to be published. So I'm hoping that that will be published. A whole, a whole book I wrote just on Principle and Foundation. I hope that that will be published one day too because I have not seen anyone writing just a whole book just on what you meditated upon last week. But it's so important that our salvation depends upon living that out. You're here, if I can summarize it in in two ideas, you're here to praise God. What we just did in Holy Mass today. You're here to praise God And you're here to save your soul. Amen? Amen. In a nutshell, you're here to praise God and you're here to save your soul. How many parents here? Do you love your children? Yes. You really do, huh? Okay, St. Thomas Aquinas who's the greatest theologian in the world, Thomas Aquinas, you've probably heard of him. He defines love or charity in this way. It is willing, it is, charity or love is willing the good of the other. It's a short but a good definition. What is in Latin, the sumum bonum, using 
the words of Aquinas. What the summum bone? What is the greatest good? The salvation of our souls. So many. How many of you have children? Okay. As a result of principle and foundation, you should be praying fervently for the salvation of your children. You hear me? You've already done it, maybe, sporadically, but right now, on your knees with tears and fervor and fasting and prayers. The only, the only thing that really matters is to get to heaven. The only thing that matters is to get to heaven. So every, every day, you should never allow any day to pass which you're not praying for the salvation of your children. And I pray a lot for you people. A lot. And what I pray for is this. I don't care if you have a lot of money. I could care less. Who cares? I don't care if you have a mansion, you got a couple houses in Beverly Hills and a yacht off Newport Beach. I could care less. I could care less whether or not you're famous. Who cares? I could care less whether or not you live a long life. It really doesn't matter. What I care for, this is principle and foundation, is the salvation of your soul. And I hope that when you die, Jesus is going to meet you with a smile and the first thing he's going to say is you're saved. Oh, man. I long for that. Pray for me. I want to hear that. That's what I want. So when I die, I see the Lord. Lord, I'm a sinner. But I mean, I tried, Lord. I loved your mother, your blessed mother. You're saved. Now, a little bit about purgatory now. <laughs> I pray that all of us will go right to heaven. Yeah? Amen? Yeah, I pray that we'll go right to heaven. But if you really love your children... You should pray fervently, Lord, I pray that they'll make it to heaven. That they'll make it to heaven. So that's principle and foundation. Now we move in, okay, we move into the second stage of our spiritual exercises by means of analogy. See these exercises in terms. Uh, have any of you ever been to New York or the East Coast? Uh, I was brought up and raised there, okay? You probably noticed there, if you've been in the Big Apple, you've got these huge buildings, right? I don't know if you Californians have ever heard the word skyscraper, we call them. As in New Yorkers, we call it the skyscraper. Okay? <laughs> and they are. The Empire State Building is more than 100 floors. No? I've climbed up the Statue of Liberty. I've been in the Empire State Building. My dad worked in Manhattan. So, so see this ex, these exercises building 10 stories. So you're going up and up and up. I'm going to try to make a connection between uh, the, the second week and uh, did any of you go to the 12 o'clock Mass? 
Okay, did any, whenever, when any, were any of you listening to my homily? Yes. Okay. Or did you zone out, okay? Okay, drop the bomb, okay? Uh, I know that as soon as I introduced that, there would be a dead silence you could cut with a knife. So I mentioned, I mentioned in that homily, that's this second week, our major obstacle to get to heaven. So this second week, we introduce you to the major obstacle for us to make it to heaven is the reality of sin. So that's the topic of this week. And I invite all of you not to okay not to see this topic in a negative in a negative way, but see it in a positive way. A positive way. Okay, here you have it. Romans chapter five, where. Sin abounds. Can you finish that? Okay. Where sin abounds, the grace and mercy of God abounds all the more. See it that way. Sin abounds. God's mercy abounds all the more. But we have to confront the reality of sin. Because the primary reason why Jesus came to the world was to save us from sin. For the Jewish people, the name that they would give to their children signified their function and purpose. The name Jesus, which was given to Mary from the Archangel Gabriel, means God saves because he will save the people of their sins. That's the purpose and the meaning of the name Jesus. He came to save us. He came to save us. So this this talk will be partially catechetical but especially biblical. We live in a world where most Catholics have a very poorly formed conscience. I repeat, we live in a world where most people have a very poorly formed conscience. I'm speaking from experience because I'm a priest in May, it'll be 37 years, that's a long haul. I'm old. (laughs) And ever since I was a priest, ordained, I've always spent half my time preaching, the other half in the confessional. If you know me, I'm always there, right? I'm there four to five hours a day, and uh, I get tired. Try to imagine hearing problems five hours a day, you know? Uh, so I, I know a little bit about the formation of a conscience. I probably heard a half a million confessions already. You know? That's a lot. You know? And as a whole, as a whole, people do not have a well-formed conscience. So one of the one of the fruits of these exercises will be to help all of us 
to form our conscience even better. And as parents, as parents, and we have some grandparents here, it's incumbent upon you to form the conscience of your children. Uh, parents that do not form the conscience of their children, that's, uh, that's matter for the confessional. You're derelict. I mean, you're, 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 you're negligent of your obligation. And it's hard work you know, to teach your children what's right and what's wrong, but it's your obligation. They don't like it, and you don't like to do it, but you have to form their conscience in the light of what? Of divine revelation, the Bible, and the magisterial teaching of the church, what's right and what's wrong. So when you finish this course, not that you're going to be maybe a St. Therese or an Alfonso Liguori, but your conscience is going to be much more refined. Now let me tell you this. Having a well-formed conscience and your conscience at peace with God is worth more than a billion bucks. You hear me? Having a well-formed conscience and your conscience at peace with God is worth more than a million bucks. Now and then I'll quote literature. That was my background. Now and then I'll I'll quote Shakespeare with your permission, no? Shakespeare wrote histories, tragedies, and comedies are the three literary genres of Shakespeare. Macbeth, Othello, and King Lear are the three big tragedies of Shakespeare. Macbeth, you see Lady Macbeth washing her hands. Why? Because there was blood guilt. She wanted to go to confession. Really? Washing her hands. And Shakespeare pens an immortal phrase, Conscience doth make cowards of all of us. Shakespeare. I'm not giving you a class on literature, but we're afraid to confront our conscience in the quiet of the night very often. But these exercises will help us to really form a well-formed conscience. And then your children... I'll give, you, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a personal anecdote to humble myself. When I was uh, maybe seven, about seven years old, I was living in New York, uh, on the outskirts of New York, and I, I, was playing, I was playing catch in the street with my older brother. And uh, we play catch a lot, okay? Play catch. And the ball went awry and it hit a parked car. And the future confessor said, big deal, who cares? Because no? <laughs> my brother went and he said, look, you know, it hit the car, we've got to check it out. And with these microscopic surgeon eyes, he's a surgeon now, by the way. <laughs> he pointed up below the left window, there was a little, a little mark. And I said, big deal. 
So what he did was, he said, we got we to gotta repair for this. So I said, you're crazy. <laughs> we have a New York saying, ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> so he went to all the houses in the little town, in the little the place, the block, and he knocked on the doorbell because he wanted to admit our damage and our desire to do reparation. He couldn't find the owner. I, a sigh of relief. <laughs> to, but to my chagrin, my, tr- my tragedy and misery was not at an end. He went into our house, got a pad of play- paper, wrote down his name and my name too. <laughs> our address, 1 Saxon Lane, okay, West Nyack, New York, ELA 2342. I remember this is 60 years ago. I remember even the phone number. And he wrote down where the damage was in our desire to do reparation. He was eight years old. He's a graduate from Dartmouth and Columbia, so he's got a really keen mind, right? He already had it when he was eight, no? But I'm not saying that because he's a back surgeon. But look at the delicacy of his conscience. And here's the future confessor. (laughs) With a lax conscience. Okay, who formed that conscience in my brother? And who else? Both my mom and my dad. He was number one of nine. And they knew we got to form number one and two well. No, Very, very insistent that this, number one, have a well-formed conscience. And eventually I'd be converted too. (laughs) You're never going to meet any child, maybe in planet Earth, that has such a delicate conscience like that now. So we get closer, Fulton Sheen says, we get closer to to the light, you can see the splotches on your white dress, right? You might have some coffee marks on your dress, but you're in dark, you can't see it. But once you get close to the light, you're able to see with greater clarity those splotches. All right, I'd like to quote now um, Pope Pius XII, that was the Pope when I was a little, a little baby, you know? Are you listening? Okay, Pope Pius XII says this. The sin of the century is the loss of the sense of sin. Wow. You hear that? You understand that? I repeat. The sin, the sin of the century is the loss of the sense of sin. So you're getting up one Saturday afternoon... At 4.30, you got guests. They look at you, where are you going? I'm going to church. Why? It's not Sunday. I'm going to confession. What have you done? (laughs) If they're not saying it vocally, they're thinking that, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm expounding upon this. And you say, well... I, I go with my kids. We go once a month. We, we, we go the whole crew once a month. 
And that's just uh, what we do. Hmm? You know, children are sinners too. Hmm? And then the, your guess is, but what have you done? Well, that's between me and my confessor and God. You probably know a lot of Catholics like that. Probably your relatives and your brothers and sisters. So the closer you get to the light, the more you're able to see the splotches that besmirch your baptismal robe. All right, so I'm going to give you now what is called the Ignatian triple sin. The Ignatian triple sin. Okay, and you're going to be begging for the grace to have an infinite trust in God's mercy. Infinite trust in God's mercy. Where sin abounds, the mercy of God abounds all the more. After the Bible, my favorite my favorite literature after the Bible the past ten years, I love the diary of Saint Faustina. Have you heard of it? I have fallen in love with that. I read it every day. And every time I read something, it just fills me, it fills me with consolation. Because the world has gone through a tough time, right? None of us can deny that we've never had more difficult times. This world is only going to be saved by God's infinite mercy. Amen? Amen. This world is only going to be saved by God's infinite mercy. Because these are very, very difficult times. Who would have ever thought that a 13-year-old girl, she leaves the house, in 24 hours she comes back and she says, don't call me Juan, call me Juana. Who would have ever thought that your son or daughter could go to hospital and have a biological change of her sexuality and say, I'm no longer a girl, I'm a boy. Who would have ever thought? I would have never thought it in a in a million years when I was a kid. That's our society, right? Your children are exposed to that, so we're going through very very difficult times. But that means this: the greatest novelist in the 19th century, his name was Charles Dickens. You've probably heard of him, right? He said the worst of times can be the best of times. Okay? You like some classical rock and roll music? The Beatles used to sing it's getting better all the time. So if we are getting close to God, even these tough times can be the best times for all of you. So by doing these exercises, you're going to be blessing your children. You got it? You do these exercises, they're going to be blessing your children. You may not see it overnight, but these exercises are going to be blessing. And who knows, the salvation of your children might depend upon these ten weeks. I believe it. These ten weeks will be instrumental in the salvation of all your children.
Do you believe it? So do I. So you want to be begging that you be imbued and permeated and convinced of God's infinite mercy. Okay, here's the triple sin. This is uh, pure Ignatius and he utilizes these three sins to help us to come to terms with the reality of sin and to conquer it with his grace. So, you're going to be begging also to see sin to see sin through the divine perspective. In other words, you want to see sin the way God sees sin. Because of the lack of the sense of sin, people will downplay the gravity of sin. I'll use a psychological word. It's called desensitized. Okay? We become desensitized because we're, we're immersed in, in basically a sea of filth, really. So being immersed in this smog, this smoke, this sea of filth, we become, we become desensitized. Your children will say, well, Mom, everyone else does it, right? Yeah, you come from Mexico. Come on. Yeah, you're a Philippine. You come from that country over there. I'm an American. Your sons and daughters will sometimes say that, at least subconsciously. You come from the third world. I come from the United States. Yeah. So we want to try to see sin through the divine perspective. Okay, here's the triple sin. First sin is the sin of the angels. Sin of the angels. And you see the fallen angels, and that does not mean Mike Trout and company, but it's another type of angels, okay? <laughs> sin of the angels. The second sin would be the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And the the third sin would be the sin of an individual who committed a a mortal sin, one, one mortal sin, and was lost because of that one mortal sin. So I'm going to try to go through these three sins quickly, and then I'll end by introducing you to what are called the rules for discernment. So in these exercises, we introduce you to these Ignatian rules for discernment, because you have these various movements within you. You have the various movements within you, You've got the good spirit working on you and you have the bad spirit working on you. You have to discern the good and the bad and what to do. So that's part of our program 
at least getting the basic understanding of these rules for discernment. Rules for discernment is universal. So you have to know what the rules are and then what to do or not to do when you're, for example, in desolation. What to do when you're in consolation. So Ignatius gives very clear-cut rules as to what we should be doing. Okay, the first sin, the sin of the angels. Even though I have a, uh, I'm a theologian, I have a degree in theology, and I've been a priest for quite a few years, still I have difficulty in understanding this sin. It's hard to understand. Why do they do it? Why? Even John Paul II calls this the mysterium iniquitatis, you know, the, the mystery of iniquity. It's kind of a mystery. Why? When we sin, it's almost always because of of weakness. Almost always. When we commit a sin, I I, I doubt that you people sin through pure malice. I, I doubt it. I've committed sin. I don't think I've ever committed sin of pure malice in my life. I don't think so. Whereas the sin of these angels, it was pure malice. It's difficult to understand that. We sin because we're tired, we're frustrated, we got a headache, we're in the traffic, we're hot, it's humid, our kids have been yelling the whole day. I mean, we there's no bad will, it's just we're weak. But a sin of pure malice, it's hard to understand that. And these angels, they have an intellect. Even the lowest angel is more intelligent than all the people on planet Earth. Okay? That's even not not to mention the cherubim and the seraphim, the highest ranks. So let's let me give you the sin of the angels. Before the creation of the world, God created the angels. So if you go to daily mass, last week you heard the, crea- the creation stories of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Some of you go to daily mass. But that's not mentioned, that's not mentioned in Genesis 1 and 2. God created the angels before the creation of the world. Numbers of the angels the Bible speaks of myriads upon myriads. That's just almost countless numbers. Now these angels are pure spirit. So they've got intellect and will. Intellect and will. But a brilliant intellect and a powerful will. God endowed them with what we have. He endowed them with Free will. Freedom. Why? We have free will too. Because, my friends, God 
wants to be loved. And if you're a robot, okay, you're a robot, you can't love. You're a machine. So they had their free will, as we have it. Our freedom is a huge gift, but it's a huge responsibility and it's very risky. Very risky. Huge responsibility. So, God, according to Thomas Aquinas now, the angels had to submit their will to the will of God. They had to obey God. And according to Thomas Aquinas, the angels had to they had to pay reverence to the incarnate word, which means Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man. One of them, his name is Lucifer, translated the beautiful star of the morning. Okay. And it's Luz Bell in Spanish. The beautiful star of the morning. He said, non serviam, I will not serve then there was like a domino effect of other angels that also followed him also not wanting to serve God. Now you can read this in Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 12. In that moment there was a battle in heaven. There was a battle between these rebellious angels and then the faithful angels. One of the faithful angels, you've heard St. Michael the Archangel, he said, who is like unto God? That's what Michael means actually. Who is like unto God? So a battle ensued and Michael the Archangel and the faithful angels, they prevailed. And the Rebellious angels, they were cast out. They were cast out and God created hell to punish these rebellious angels. Now we call these rebellious angels devils or demons. Now what St. Ignatius wants to do in this meditation is to help us to arrive at a keen awareness of the effects of sin. That sin, it's not a joke. Sin is something very serious. So look at all the effects. Okay, they lost their place in heaven. They had to be confirmed in grace by by obeying God. But they didn't want to obey. Second, God creates hell. In hell, my friends, it's not a joke. Probably half of your friends deny that hell exists. Then, these beautiful, beautiful creatures of God, they're transformed into 
ugly and hideous monsters. From utter beauty. And Lucifer, he was the most beautiful of all. He was the star of the morning. He's transformed into an ugly, hideous, fallen angel. We call them devils. You might even meditate upon that, that sin can camouflage itself, but sin is ugly. You probably never heard that before, but sin is ugly. Maybe some of you have heard of Aristotle. Aristotle defines beauty as proper proportion. Okay? That's the definition of Aristotle. Proper proportion. Well, something is out of proportion, that's ugly. Okay? So all the devils are disproportionate, if I can use an Aristotelian terminology. No? Ugly. Sin is ugly. Whereas virtue is beautiful. The most beautiful woman that lived last century was Mother Teresa of Calcutta. The beauty of soul, right? The beauty of soul. But it doesn't end there. There in hell, the last commandment of Jesus was love one another as I love you. Hell is a place of perpetual hatred. So it's the antithesis of the last commandment of Jesus, which was, love one another as I have loved you. It's a place of perpetual hatred. So the the devils, who do they hate? They hate God. They hate themselves. They hate the other devils. And get ready, they hate you too. They want to drag they want to drag you right to be with them so that they can hate you and hate God together. Misery seeks company, that's true. If that were not enough, you got a toothache or a headache, okay, you take a couple of Tylenol and you feel better the following day. This suffering is forever. It's called eternal suffering. And they, now the, the, the devils are the incarnation of evil, but the devil, there's one vice that the devil does not have. The devil is not lazy. I've thought about that the past year. We give in to laziness at times. The devil works 25 hours a day, 8 days a week, and 366 days a year. That's called hyperbole. Literary flair to emphasize a point, as we say in literature. Huh? <laughs> and they work. They're not going to rest until we're dead. So all of that, my friends, because of one sin. It was an irreversible sin because of the keenness of their intellect. They knew exactly what they were doing. 
Alright, let's move from there to the second sin. It's the sin of Adam and Eve. So if you go to daily mass, you heard it last week and you had it actually in your readings, in your, your handouts. Now there's, there's, there's much that can be said about the sin of Adam and Eve. But I'd like to highlight maybe three points on this and then allow the Holy Spirit to work with you. Like the angels, Adam and Eve were given freedom. Last week I introduced you to principle and foundation. The first part is you know where you came from, where you're heading, how to get there, and what are the tools you have to take to get to heaven. You're created to praise God, to reverence God, to serve God, and to save your soul. But the second part of principle and foundation is the proper use of, of our freedom. Proper use of created reality, proper use of freedom. Either we can use creation or we can abuse creation. Either creation can be a stepping stone by which we ascend on high to arrive at our eternal destiny, which is heaven, or we can abuse it, creation, for our own condemnation. So Adam and Eve, they are created in the image and likeness of God. They were created by God out of love. But God had to put them to the test. They were not robots either. They had to be put to the test. What was their test? Okay, in the Garden of Eden, God created many trees with fruits, maybe thousands, maybe thousands of different trees, different fruits. But God said there in the middle, there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not even touch it, lest you will die. I've been preaching, meditating upon this for many years. It, it, it doesn't really seem to be a big deal. I mean, just don't eat from that one. So Eve, she was where? She was there next to it, right? Meditate upon that. She was in the near occasion of sin, right? How often have we done the same thing? Probably every day. How often have we been in the near occasion of sin? How often do we play with fire? How often do we walk on a slippery slope? How often do we walk on, on thin ice? So this, the sin of Adam and Eve... That's my sin and that's your sin too. 
We pray for the grace to identify ourselves with that biblical scene. Then the serpent speaks. The serpent is the devil. And Eve enters into dialogue with the devil. It's another point. How often have we entered into dialogue with the enemy? The devil has played mind games on me and you too. Right? The devil has played mind games on you every day. He presents this this image. There's an image there. So instead of pressing delete or eject, replace, replay. We do. Using modern technological language. Instead of delete, erase, replay. And we allow the movie, the YouTube, the Instagram, okay? To start to replay itself. So what happened with Adam and Eve, we, we do it probably many, many more times than we're aware of. Then the serpent says, why don't, you, why don't you eat from that fruit? And Eve says, no, God said, because if we eat, then we will die. What do we have there? The first lie in the Bible. The devil is the father of lies. He's lying to Eve. And Eve is going to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) You're going to swallow it. So he's playing on the intellect and the, the emotions of Eve. And then Eve looks up. What does she look up to? She looks up to the forbidden fruit. Okay, just replay the homily of Father Broome 45 minutes ago. See, what I said in the homily is very pertinent to what we're learning today. Looking up at the forbidden fruit, today that would be pornography. This happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but the Word of God is like a two-edged sword that separates bone from marrow. That's the forbidden fruit that most people in this country have not only bitten into, but swallowed the whole apple. Or fruit. Then from there... She eats. What does she do now? John Paul II, in one of his apostolic exhortations, speaks about the five different effects of sin. They are the theological, the social, the personal, the ecclesial, and the cosmic. John Paul II, a great writer, isn't he? So there's the theological, there's the 
social, the personal, the ecclesial, and then there's the cosmic. As the poet says, no one is an island unto himself. Okay? We do affect other people by our actions. So Eve eats from the forbidden fruit. What does she do? She gives it to who? Adam. So there you have the theological disobeying God, the social effect of sin kicking in full gear. Now, I think a lot of women are going to like this. Is the woman at fault? Yes. But if Adam were a good husband, he would have kept her away from that tree, right? You like that, ladies? I thought you liked that, huh? But really, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's the fault of both of them, okay? But Adam could have said, Honey, you know, why are you going there? God says, No. I, and down a block there's your favorite fruit you had it last night let's go get another one huh? <laughs> but they're both at fault but, but Eve was a catalyst by which Adam fell but Adam also could have said can you ate that you take that up with God I'm going down the street I mean he could have done that so you see, if you meditate upon this, there's a lot of ideas that are going to surface. A lot. So it wouldn't be a, a bad idea if you gave yourself two hours. Really. Maybe an hour in the morning. Because I give you a lot of material. And I don't think that you can exhaust it in one hour. Yeah. There's so much there. And th these are key meditations that influence our whole, our whole theology. So there you have the sin of Adam and Eve. Now, instead of going through the, the uh, I call this a moral tsunami that has repercussions until the end of time. You like that? This is a moral tsunami. It has repercussions until the end of time. We are influenced by this sin that, that happened many hundred years ago. But it would take a whole hour lecture to go through that in detail. But I just want to get into the third sin and go briefly through the rules for discernment. Should be able to get to your groups as soon as possible. Okay, the third sin is this. Okay, try to follow. This is not Father Broom. This is Saint Ignatius. Try to follow the reasoning, the Ignatian reasoning behind this. Okay, you ready? Okay, one person could be man or woman. One person commits okay, one mortal sin, that's enough? Hell. Okay. That's the Ignatian meditation. It's short. One mortal sin. Not a hundred, a thousand, or this or that. No. One mortal sin, God decides, that's enough. Your life is over. Hell. 
In the exercises, this is the meditation that causes the biggest, usually the biggest shock. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, God is, God is so merciful, he's going to give us another chance. You're right. You're right. You're right. But, okay, let me defend Ignatius, though. Is God morally obliged to give us a thousand chances? Five hundred? A hundred? Ten? More than one? No. So God is not morally obliged to give us a lot of chances. In our lives, he probably has, because God's so merciful toward us. He probably has. But that doesn't mean he's going to give you another 500 chances. So I, I, I see psychologically, I think this is a spiritual masterpiece, this one. But you have to understand the thrust of it. Not that God is mean, mean-spirited, but God takes sin seriously. Okay, let me, let me, let me build upon this. How many of you are, how many of you drive? All right. Did it ever happen that you almost got in an accident? Okay, did it ever happen that you almost got in maybe a serious accident? Me too. Okay. Try to okay, try to rewind the film of your life when you almost got in a very serious accident. Maybe, maybe ten years ago. Okay. Maybe you were not in the state of grace. Okay. If you were to have gotten that accident, where would you be now? That's a, it, 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 it's a tough meditation, but you have to use your mind and the whole Ignatian dynamic. What you should be doing now is almost falling to your knees, thanking God for the fact that he's given you another chance and humbly begging for the grace to avoid in the future. You see it? So this is not explained. People can say, this is Ignatius guy. He's pretty mean, no? Well, if you don't understand it, but I think the exercises are spiritual psychological masterpieces. And I'm trying to study and to learn them more and more because that's my charism. And I love the exercises. The exercises change lives. These are the, these are the exercises that help people to really want to become saints. So, there you have that. Okay, now I'm going to, very quickly, I'm going to go through the rules for discernment then we'll break up into groups. If you remember last week, I mentioned that St. Ignatius, God inspired him to write out 14 rules for discernment. And the purpose is to see the various movements in our souls. Okay, you've got the good spirit working on you, but also you have the bad spirit working on you. And the purpose, Ignatius says in the very beginning is, the purpose is with, when you have the good spirit working on you, the Holy Spirit, he, this is called a heavenly inspiration. You have the good spirit working on you, then you say yes to it and try to obey that inspiration. 
This happens 24-7. Unless we do the exercise and we don't pick up the vibes. Spanish, las buenas ondas, las malas ondas, okay? Okay? You don't pick up the vibes if you're not, you're not discerning. Okay? So you have, you have a good inspiration, you're aware it comes from the good spirit, you say yes, and you follow it, and you experience peace and joy. See, you, you probably never heard that before, but you want, all of you understand what I'm talking about. You have an inspiration, okay. Turn off the TV, say an extra rosary, and pray the chaplet. You didn't want to do it, you say yes afterwards. Well, okay, I feel a lot of peace now. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give you, uh, try to be as quick as possible, the first six rules. Each one I'm going to go through in about a minute. Okay, you're going to see, in, in all the rules, you're going to see these basic ideas. Desolation, consolation, the working of the good spirit, and the working of the bad spirit. That's a summary of the rules, okay? you got desolation, consolation, the good spirit, and the bad spirit. I can't be more succinct than that. And it's constant. All right, the first rule is the way the devil... The devil, as well as the good spirit, works on someone in mortal sin. In mortal sin. So what the devil does when someone's in mortal sin, he tries to get that person to fall and fall and fall and fall and fall so the person becomes a slave of that sin. I can use a modern world word. Okay, we would call it an addiction. An addiction. Almost everyone is addicted today. Number one is pornography. And then drugs. Then drinking. Then the casino. Overeating. I mean, we, these are addictions. We become, we become slaves to our sins. Jesus says, sin is slavery. As I look at it, a group of people, young people, I don't see, I don't see happiness on their face because they're a slave to their passions. You can buy pleasure, but you can't buy God. That's a free gift. So the devil tries to per- get the person to to fall and fall and fall, and it's almost like a re- a thread, and then a rope, and then a chain. So that we're we're slaves, and he wants he wants to pull us into hell. That's what he wants to do. But his greatest victory is this. And I thought I think a lot of the young people are in this state. You no longer have remorse of conscience after committing a sin. So if you commit a sin and you have remorse of conscience, that that's good. It's a sign that you have a you have a healthy conscience. I once heard a case where a woman did 28 abortions. That's a lot. That's a lot. Probably second, third, fourth, fifth, the conscience, but after the fifth, okay, who cares? Our conscience becomes desensitized and becomes calloused. Calloused, yeah. 
Okay, what does the good spirit do? The good spirit tries to take away the peace of that person. So, the good spirit, the good spirit battles to get us out, placing within our conscience remorse, so we don't feel at peace with ourselves. Okay, I'll give a classical example. I've given the talks at the baptismal classes. No longer, but I've done it for a good 20 years. And most of the people that come in, they're not married in the church. So they're living together. So objectively, they're living in sin. So what I do is this. See how I use this rule. I come in, I smile, then I tell a joke. I tell another joke. I tell a third joke. They say, this priest has maca noodles. This the people. I like this priest. Huh? He's a good guy. man. He's, he's one of us. no? <laughs> and then after that, I say, I'm looking at the forms here. I notice that a lot of you are not married in the church. Silence. You're living in sin. You're giving bad example to your children. If you die in that state, you could go to hell. He's not as good as we thought he was. (laughs) So their conscience is bothering them. That's exactly my purpose. I know where I'm heading. I know exactly where I'm heading while giving talks. Exactly. Then after two weeks, you know, that guy was kind of a, my priest, he says, he's that toughie. It's malo. It's malo, malo, malo. He's a toughie, you know. But their conscience bothered them. They called the office, you know, Father, well, he's a tough guy, but he's right. Can we get married in the church? And in three months, they're married in the church. Because I use this rule. See how we use this rule? I love these rules. No? <laughs> so these rules I use, I use it to get people to heaven. Okay, second rule. Second rule is someone's in the state of grace. Now, the God, good spirit and the, op, and the bad spirit are going to do the exact opposite now. So turn the table. So... The bad spirit in the first rule creates a false sense of peace. Okay, A false sense of peace. It's okay that you live in that state. Everyone else is doing it. What's important is you love your boyfriend. Love is what counts. Okay, <laughs> That's the devil. Okay, Lulling you into a, a false sense of security. And then the good spirit is pricking away your conscience. Now, the second rule, you're in the state of grace, the Holy Spirit is giving you a lot of peace, a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. Probably what you experienced last week when you're doing your meditations, a lot of you. And this is pretty good. I'm talking with God. The hour went by quickly. I think most of you, I was praying a lot for you. Say thank you, Father. Um, that, that you'd have a lot of consolation. Now, what does the bad spirit do? He assaults you with scrupulosity trying to take away your peace. Scrupulous, blowing something out of proportion. So, 
you, you, you probably, you're going you're gonna to experience this in this ten weeks, so just be aware of it. You know? The devil will lie to you and, and blow something out of portion to take away your peace. And if he takes away your peace, then you can't really pray well. You see, the devil is very crafty, very astute. Okay, third rule. Okay, the third and fourth rule are the easiest rules to understand. When I was learning how to write in 7th or 8th grade, at least on the East Coast, they taught you different ways to write. Narration, poetry, prose. And the easiest way to write is called description. Any teachers here? Okay? Description. You simply describe something. Okay? Using adjectives. You know, you describe a tennis ball or a door or a house. So this rule, the third rule, is a descriptive rule and explains what is consolation. So consolation is when you experience peace and joy. You're growing in faith and hope and charity. You're in the spiritual honeymoon. You feel drawn to spiritual things. You want to become a saint. You're experiencing this, this, this springtime of joy and peace within your heart. Okay? That's what it is. Okay, now the fourth rule is desolation is going to be the exact opposite. The exact up. Lack of faith, lack of hope, lack of love. You feel sad, you feel depressed, you feel disoriented. You want to throw the towel in. Life doesn't have any meaning. People don't understand me. No one cares about me. I'm stuck in the middle of a dark tunnel. I'm in a quagmire of mud and I'm sinking up into my eyebrows. That's desolation. And we, we, we go through both of them. So you have to know, you have to know what to do. That's it. But yet, name it, claim it, and tame it, huh? Hmm? Name it, claim it, and tame it. You have to name it. You have to claim it. Now you have to tame it. Okay, the fifth rule, the fifth rule is the rule that everyone remembers ten years later. And those who have done the exercises, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, when you're in desolation, make no changes in your spiritual practices. Everyone remembers that one. And that's a key rule. When you're in desolation, make no changes in your spiritual practices. Because when you're in desolation, that's when the devil is going to attack you. That's universal. You hear me? Everyone on planet Earth, when you're in desolation, the devil sees that and he looks for your kryptonite, your weak point. These rules, my friends, are masterpieces. Teenagers, even children can understand these rules if you speak their language. Okay, that's the, that's the fifth rule. Okay, then the sixth rule is, okay, when I'm in desolation, I make no changes, what do I do then? In Latin, this is called the agere contra. And if you know a little bit of Latin, agere contra means you react against it. And Ignatius presents four practices when you're in desolation. He says, you've got to pray. Second is meditation. Do your holy hour. Now the third, he says, is a little bit of penance. Some devils are cast out only by prayer and fasting. Okay? A little bit of penance. And then the last examine your conscience to see 
what's the reason why I'm in desolation? Zoom. Uh, you're giving, you're, you're becoming a chismosa. Okay, no, that's wrong. You're eating too much. Okay. You're watching something on YouTube. You know that's not what God wants. Your husband hurt you and you haven't really forgiven him. Okay. You hear me? So the Holy Spirit enlightens you to see something in your spiritual life that is not pleasing to God and that's bringing the desolation. So what do you think? Aren't these rules beautiful? So good. Um, let's say Hail Mary and then we're gonna, we'll break you in, into groups. Then you're going to be give, get, we'll give you those rules for discernment today in your handouts. Okay? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, and blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, you